This is episode number 217 of the Rising Man podcast with Otto Gomes. The feeling of risk is ancestral trauma. What's up, Rising Man fam? Jetty Azuma here again, checking in behind the mic for another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Man, I'm just going to say before I go into anything, what an honor it is. I, I just said episode 217. And we got another 200 episodes of the Monday Morning Meditations, and we've got our Fam Life segment of this podcast that's led by and hosted by Phil Gomez. We've got First Nature hosted by Sean Berry. Man, it's just an honor to be have the privilege to speak to you, to, to borrow your ears for several minutes every week and share with you our perspectives and hopefully things that are helping you in your life. So I just felt compelled to say that before I get started. <laughs> and I'm also going to take the opportunity to officially announce here that we are going to be offering our next dojo four-day self-mastery and embodied leadership training experience September 15th to 18th right here in good old Austin, Texas. Yes, our very first time we're going to be doing dojo here in Austin. I'm super excited to be doing it here in my new home in a new community and looking to load those seats up quick. And I know they're going to go fast because so many people have been asking me, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? So here it is, September 15th to 18th, four days of self-mastery and embodied leadership training. Go to risingman.org slash dojo and reserve your seat today. All right. My guest today is Otto Gomes. He's a crypto investor, mentor, and founder of Crypto Made Easy, an online educational platform helping people learn crypto and increase their wealth. With a decade of experience in the crypto industry, Otto has persevered through the bull and bear markets of life to find true freedom. On a mission to help others become the most abundant versions of themselves, Otto is a voice for truth, sovereignty, and a holistic approach to creating a life and world of prosperity. In this episode, Otto and I discussed growing up with the mindset of scarcity and transforming it, how and where scarcity actually serves us, why we are compelled to make big purchases when we finally have the resources, defining risk in our relationship to it, where we source that sensation from in our bodies. We talked about why fear is sometimes just a normal response to the unknown. And the decentralized future, returning to small autonomous governance with leaders directly connected to and invested in the people they represent. Last but not least, why small repeated events over time will create the future many of us have only ever dreamed of. Without further ado, Otto Gomes. All right, Rising Man, Man family, you're in for a real treat today. I got my bro coming in here, Mr. Otto Gomes, coming in live from outside of the Phoenix, Arizona area. I was just saying to you before we started recording, man, that this is the first conversation we've had since that iconic Sacred Sons photo that we shared. So it's, it's good to be jamming with you here in the virtual flesh. Literally, I mean, what was that? Oh, four years ago, maybe five years ago? I almost? think it's got to be four. Four feels more accurate. Um, we've got a yeah. whole pandemic in between that moment and now. So it feels like a, a lifetime ago. <laughs> Literally, because I was going to say, I was like, it feels like 10 years probably because of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no social distancing in that photo. There's, there's, we didn't even know what that was back then. Um, and most people didn't even know what the heck, a, what the heck a Bitcoin was at that point. So a lot's changed in, since the last time that we've been in person together. But here we are, man. Glad to be here with you again today, connecting. It's like full circle. We're coming back back together and now like, okay, now let's discuss that picture. <laughs> yeah. We probably could have one of our own customized memes, you know, since yeah. they're, since our first conversation and all of those things that happen, you know, when they do those like yeah. Sega yeah, Genesis, yeah. you know, and all this stuff, <laughs> uh, uh, we'll have to get the, we'll have to get our, our content teams on there since we share content teams. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'll just, just tell your guys, cause it's the same guys as are my guys. There you go. <laughs> I love shout, it. shout out to Rowan, Mark and Julian, big love to you guys. Okay, man, let's, let's not waste any time getting right into it. I know, you know, the flow here. I asked the first question of every guest that is, what does it mean to be a man? Ooh, well, what does it mean to be a man? Man, for me, it was growing out of that feeling of like um, that uh, external validation, like wanting to look for my worth outside of my body. And, that, and that's probably, a, you know, not just for men, it's for women, it's for everybody. But for me, I really stepped into my manhood, you know, grounded myself when I started to look at my self-worth coming from inside of me. And that, that it was actually th that moment that I had that awareness was when I looked at money as an, as energy and not as the, the thing that I was giving all my worth to. That's mm. when it shifted for me. This is great, man. I don't think I've ever had somebody talk about the validation shift as that key transition point between boy and man. So let, let's, 
let's just go into that for a second. Let's let's not get to the money piece of it yet. But do you think that there's still a role in external validation? Is that something that we should just try to eradicate completely from our existence? Or do you think it's something that we actually need to some degree? That's a great question. Um, I think when it comes to, you know, because I look at I look at life as like um, with that that saying, it was uh, Bruce, Bruce Lee, I think they said, be water. Mm-hmm. And I kind of live my life like that. Like uh, things are going to happen to me from the external and then I have to kind of navigate through it and, and breathe through it and, and, you know, move through it instead of running away from it or, or trying to go around it. You want to go through it. And so I think in those moments where it's like, if I don't do this, I'm going to die. You know, those like survival moments. Um, yeah. You need to kind of be aware of those external things and make sure that they're validating your concerns so that you can then move through it. But I think that's the only time really that you should give anything external, any sort of power is when it's helping you become a better version of yourself or it's helping you survive. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's not, a, this is one of those things where there's not a clear line. I know that the masculine right. in us loves clear lines of delineation. Let's make it black and white. But I think there are times in life where it, it, it comes down to, am I depending on this? Do I need, is this like a survival need to have somebody who's not me reflect something back to me that validates who I am? And for example, I think the one compelling argument for this is, well, what good is having a gift or a service to offer if there's no community to tell me how much they value that? And for people mm. to say, wow, that's really valuable. That's that's validating, right? That's that's validating when we create this podcast and people say, yo, you and Otto killed it. That was some dope shit that you guys are dropping. It's like, okay, good. Well, that's that's good information for us. That's that's valuable. But when it transcends into I need it, right? Like I need the likes. And that and that's hearts, I think done. that's that's the key right there is like the awareness of like, okay, well, what's your intention of using that tool or doing that thing? If it is just because you want to fill the void of self of validation and you want to feel like worth something because you're hearing it from people, then, okay, then that's a trap, you know? Mm-hmm. But if you're doing it for the intention of like, oh, I got feedback, I know what I'm supposed to do or not do, cool, let's, let's go ahead and do it, then that's different. That's, that, that's sort of like, a, in my opinion, it's the difference between a forward energy movement, like a moving for energy forward or, or receding or like constricting you know, where, where the, the, if the, if you're really looking at it as like validation to fill the void, then you're just constricting back into yourself. Cause you, you need, you're always going to need that thing to come in. Yeah. All right. Awesome point. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's, <laughs> that, well, that, and that's something that's not so easy to delineate. That's, that's where that self-awareness piece comes in. So yeah. um, awesome. Uh, that was cool. I don't think we've ever, I don't think I've ever really dropped in to that particular piece with somebody before. So great start for those people who don't know you yet. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your early startup. I know you, cause you're, you're, you were grew up in Brazil, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, e, e fala português. Fala português. Eu jogo capoeira. And so I, I speak a little bit of Portuguese, just enough to get by, man, but you got good to accent too. You're like barely, barely see there's any accent there. Yeah. Shout out to Pimsler. Pimsler is like the language. So anyway, Side note, tell us about your experience growing up in Brazil, because I think that backstory is really important when we start talking about some of the things that you're into now. Yeah, yeah. Um, growing up, um, I was born in Brazil in Sao Paulo. I grew up there until I was uh, eight years old, and then I moved to the U.S. when I was eight. So really, most of my childhood was just me running around the house, uh, being told what to do by my brothers, and and you know maybe having fun on the on the streets. But growing up, the environment that I felt that I was in was not necessarily poor, but um, I would say lower middle class, but with the, with the mindset of scarcity and tightness and like saving and, um, you know, uh, uh, looking for the best deal possible, um, really that sort of mindset. So growing up, I, that's all I experienced. Now, when I came to the U.S., with eight, at eight years old, I you know I barely really knew how to speak Portuguese, so I, I was I brought I um, learned English very quickly, but the mindset I quickly let go of that mindset that my parents instilled uh, in Brazil because in the U.S. there was so much hope there was there was this like mindset of um, you know the American dream. So growing up in that system at such a young age, I was able to kind of let go of that scarcity and kind of really step into like, okay, well, 
there's, there's potential, there's possibility. Where in Brazil, my brothers grew up with that, like, no, man, you got to figure out for yourself. Like, if you don't do it, if you don't grind, at, grind it out, you won't get anything. And so they, and, and it's cool now to see them growing up and being at, at where they're at and, and still pursuing that same path that my parents instilled where I went, poof, complete opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's actually pause here for a moment because there's a lot of really important stuff here. I think many people whose ancestors, whether it's one generation, two generations, four generations, most people migrated to the Americas, let's just say the Western Americas and the United States area. And those, the legacy of scarcity is still there. I know that both of my parents were born in this country, but their parents were born in somewhere else. And so, and, and it's, it's still there, right? So to hear you say that you were born in a different country, you came here and you were able to just release it. I think that's probably the 1% of the 1% story for most people, especially we talk, even the word scarcity these days has become a buzzword. So like there's more said, to that story though. There's more to that story. Well, but, that's what I'm you, saying. There's gotta be something to it. So I want to hear yeah, more yeah. about how you were able to release that and let that go. Yeah. So, so, um, when I said, when I said let go, I, I didn't let go of it yet, but I became aware of it. I was I very see. aware of like, whoa, my parents are like this. Most of my dad, my, my mom was, um, really went to the opposite side of the spectrum when she came to the U S my dad stayed on the side of scarcity and, and tightness. My mom went to the complete opposite end and just, tried, just started, yay, like life is, is amazing. And we have everything we, you know, go to, go to Costco and buy the bulk items and, you know, um, go to McDonald's and, and get 23 cent burgers. I mean, all, it was this mindset of abundance and, and it was back then, in my opinion, in the night, in the mid nineties, there was a sense of abundance in the U S. So for me, it was very obvious. The two, it was like, oh, very, very scarce in Brazil. We come here and we can do anything we want. You know, we have all this open to us. It didn't mean that I let go of that. And I still, you know, I would come home and that's the, the, the repetition that was in the house was my mom and dad arguing about money. My dad saying, you're spending too much. My mom going, but it's, but we have money. Why are we spending it? And so it was this weird conflict that I kept seeing where I was like, but we do have money, but why can't we spend it? But, but I get that. I get that we need to save and we need to secure things in case something happens. So there was this conflict, right? And my choice growing up was to kind of stay in my lane and kind of go to church, you know, go to school, uh, uh, graduate from college, like all these little things you're supposed to do. Because I'm like, what am I gonna? Who am I? Who am I to to question what my parents are teaching me? You know, that was the first step. So I did that for years up until I was uh, 21. So it was like 2000. 15. No, no, I'm sorry. 2012, 2013. So that was like, I was uh 23, maybe 20, 22, 23. And that's when I was introduced to crypto, to Bitcoin. Once, you know, cause up, up until that point, like I said, I was just kind of following the rules of the road, just doing my thing, going to, going to school, going to, uh, at this, this point I was working. So going to work nine to five, I was working as an accountant, my accounting office with my parents, um, with my, with my brother's and then when I was there, and I remember I watched this, this is what this was the moment for me. I watched this documentary called Zeitgeist. Uh, Zeitgeist and oh, yeah. Loose Change. I've seen that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was like 2008, 2009. So I watched that, and that really like like cracked the egg for me. It really opened up my mind and cracked the egg of of lo looking at the systems that currently existed and go and being aware of it and going, whoa, what is going on? What can I do about it? And then coming to the realization, I can't do anything. And I'm just going to go right back to doing my thing. And so I did that up until 2012. And then that's when I learned about Bitcoin. And once, so once I learned about that, that's what kind of connected the dots for me in my head to, oh, here's a system that is broken. Um, here's this old mindset of scarcity. Uh, and now here's a way out of the system that is going to put us into true abundance. And I, and I did see that the abundance piece, the, the disconnection, like immediately very early on, like 2008, 2009, no, I'm sorry, 2012, 2013. I saw that very quickly, which was why I was like, so quick to invest and haul in. Yeah. And everybody yeah. was like, you're nuts. Well, uh, let's, let's bookmark that for one second, because I just, the, the scarcity piece, I think there's another element that's really important that I heard in what you shared is that how interesting that you lived in a household that had the polarity 
of living with a scarce or frugal mindset and living in an abundance mindset. I think so much, at least so much of the content that I hear these days is heavily slated towards abundance. And in my opinion, you can get lost in that abundance mentality where it's like, oh, money's just going to fall from everywhere. And it's like way at the other end of the spectrum. Like it's okay. And let's spend everything we have because the world is abundant. Um, and, and that scarcity actually catches a bad rap. But I think there's also, I mean, you're, you have an accounting background, right? There's definitely merit to being mindful and choiceful with how and where we spend our resources. So I don't think living at either end of the spectrum is valuable, but mm-hmm. arriving at somewhere in the middle, would you say that that's something that you had to figure out for yourself? I don't want to assume that, but it's what it sounded like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so So up until the point where I learned about up until the point where the resources of crypto of my investments like became so abundant that yeah I, I i went to that side of the spectrum but up until that point i was an accountant i was you know preparing a couple thousand tax returns a year i did it for almost a decade and so i had my quickbooks i had everything my budget i had i mean i was like this i was like my dad very um very uh um um uh, how do you say that? Uh, control, not control freak, but like the, the the details, very detail oriented and looking at every single little thing to the point where it was like stressing me out. Like it would stress me out if things weren't perfect, right? So up until the point that I had an abundance of resources come from crypto, I was like that. As soon as I got that abundance, man, I literally went from that side of the spectrum to to the to the to the side that you just described, which was like, spend all the money. It doesn't matter. We have like we're, I'm gonna be rich forever, and you know it was. I I invested about nineteen thousand dollars in in about a year and a half, two years. It grew to seventeen million, and so in that time, as it was growing, I was like, there's money just coming in every month, like this new money that was just coming in, and I was at one point for about I'm gonna say two, maybe three months, I was spending an average of 20 to $30,000 a day <laughs> because, on because what? I was like, up, like, what, like just were you uh, investing it or are you just like, you know, no, no, mostly. And I would justify, I'd be like, I'm locking, I'm locking profits. I'm like, uh, no, you're not, you're throwing money away. But I didn't, you know, it was, it was, I was in that mindset. Like I, I almost felt like I needed to allow myself to go to that side of the spectrum, to feel it, to experience it. Um, but no, it was going to like a, a television or a car or, you know, uh, a, a rent towards a, a nice place, just random stuff. I think that's probably the story for a lot of people who come into wealth like that so suddenly. I mean, I think we see it in with celebrities, with professional athletes, you know, college athletes who get that first big contract. Why do you think there's... Why do you think that's the the most natural first thing to do for the majority of people is like go and buy the expensive thing? I think it depends on the person for sure um, on what they're going to do. But I think the majority of the people, because of society and because of the world that we've all been born into, um, most are on the scarcity side. Like that's the majority of the of the population are on this side where they they truly believe, okay, well, if I don't grind, if I don't put in the work, I'm not going to get any money. And so that keeps you in a state of survival. It keeps you in a state, uh, in a tense state. And so I think that that's just a natural, it's like, you know, um, uh, growing up, you either want what your parents have or, or the complete opposite, in my opinion, you know, and uh, to get to the middle, you have to go through, you have to allow the expression of both sides of the spectrum to then find the middle. And so that's what I think happens it, it, when you're giving so much abundance in such a short amount of time, it's almost natural to experience all sides of the spectrum to then figure out where you're supposed to be. Okay, man. So let's let's paint the picture a little bit more clearly. So you, you were working as an accountant for a while. And so it wasn't like you were like one of those dudes who's completely broke and all of a sudden wins 256 million on the Powerball, right? Like you, so you, you, you knew what it was like to have some resources and take care of yourself. But all overnight, you, like you said, you went from seven, not overnight, but you went from 17 grand to like millions of dollars. And then here you are. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the relationship with risk because especially coming from the background you came from going back to 2012, 2013, investing 17 grand into Bitcoin back then, people think still think you're crazy for doing that now to do it back then. They probably wanted to institutionalize you. Yeah, (laughs) It was 250 bucks. Oh, 250, 250 bucks. They're probably like, what the hell you're throwing it in the garbage. You might as well burn it. Right. 
Yeah, literally, they literally said those words. They, 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 my, my brother, I, I'll never forget. He's like, just take the, just take the hundred dollar bill and just burn it, Otto. I'm like, all right, you can do that. So, well, so how did you? Because I, I'll say for myself, right? I, I didn't even, I, I didn't finally get into crypto until I don't know, maybe a year ago, when it was already, when there was already some established evidence and data that, like, okay, this is, seems promising. That was where my threshold was. But we all have different thresholds for risk. So what? What what put you in that mindset of saying, hey, you know what? This is a good this is a good gamble. It's a good risk for me to get into. So I want to say that what allowed me to connect the dots quickly because that's really what it is. It's not about risk or not. And and I mean, okay, there is there is a portion of that of like what feels risky and what doesn't feel risky. You know, I think that's going to be different for every person uh, depending on where they're at. Um, and I, and I would even suggest to lean into the risk because the risk is just a signal. <laughs> like the feeling of risk is just a signal from your body for something, uh, which, which, which we can discuss, but it's a whole uh, topic. Um, but <clears throat> I would say, I would say for me, man, it was like looking at, it, it was first understanding my current system. So once I understood the current system and how it worked, when I read the Bitcoin white paper, and that's that's a, a part of it, I think also like really allowing yourself to take in the information of the of the system of this new system, and a lot of people are really falling into the flashiness of it all, like because I think that's just like the distortion and the manipulation that happens from people that have nefarious plans for that for this tool. Um, but initially, it was just about understanding my current system, reading the, 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 the new technology, and then seeing how it was fixing the issues. And what really solidified it for me that made me feel like, oh, I can just invest into this 100% was that um, there was already an ecosystem around it of other people that believed in it enough. And so it was almost like, oh, I don't need to believe in it for this to be worth something. There's a ton of people who believe in it. And so for me, I was like, okay, not only is this now an, an offering for people that like, hey, we can get out of the system of this old system, but people were believing in it already and they're already mining and they're already in it. So for me, I, I kind of bet it on that really more than anything. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that that brings back uh, where we were, where we started off this conversation about external validation. Like, even though that's not <laughs> validation of you, it's externally validating a separate entity that gives you the confidence to then take that leap, which is exactly what we do in community, right? Going all the way back to, you know, hunting and foraging. So we all had to agree, Hey, this is a good place to be hunting. There's, you know, mm -hmm. here's why there's grazing grounds for the Buffalo to come through. And these berries are good to eat and here's why. And then there's, there, there's enough evidence that we, we lay our faith and our trust in it. And at some point, like you said, all the evidence that we can possibly gather, there's still going to be that point where you say, okay, I've, I've gathered the evidence. I feel like I'm ready to take this leap. And I think that's the part where, like you said, it, it varies so much from person to person is what is our, what is our risk tolerance? What is our willingness to take those leaps and it might, mine is, might be different from you based on so many different things. So what you said that there, everyone has to be able to identify that for themselves. So I want to go a little bit more into that piece. Cause even if we're not talking about money, just relationship yeah. with risk is such an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. I th I, so, um, I, I, whenever I'm teaching my clients, I talk about risk a lot because risk, you know, um, the emotions that we get from, in, from putting money into something or, 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 you know, investing our, energy into something, that's just a response. That's just your body telling you that emotion that you're getting. It's just your body telling you if what you're doing, you've normalized, like you've done enough of it that you're like, okay, this is good. We've done it enough that, you know, it's good to go. Or it's something new, something different, something that you're not used to. And so that's usually that the negative, that negative feeling or the, or the feeling that you get, that's when you've just never have never done it. That's really what it is. Um, so Depending on the person, I've noticed that like, okay, so like for example, I, 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 I do this embodiment challenge where I, I tell people, find five people in this next week and give them money to their hands to people that uh, society hasn't normalized to give money to, right? So like, you know, we, we, can, we tip, we tip the, the taxi driver, we tip the guy that opens the door for us when we get from valet or whatever that gets our car, but do we tip... You know, the person that is 
Um, uh, for example, uh, the host at a restaurant. Does the host at a restaurant get tipped? Does you know you're driving and you see somebody on the side of the road? Should he get it? Should he get some money? I was just and thinking so, about the mailman or these other people. The mailman, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what's funny is they probably would say, I'm not allowed to take that, right? It's, there's some people probably, that's like it's literally not normalized. Their, well, not even that. There's some people that I've tried tipping. They say, I can't I can't accept that. It's against our protocol or something like that. It's, it's interesting how society puts up those parameters. Which which makes me question is like, why are they creating a policy to not tip these people? Like, do you want to not feel like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, don't give them too much money. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll think they're better than who they, you know, they really are. I don't know. It's just a weird mindset to have. But <clears throat> so I tell people to do that, but um, to give money that feels risky. So the reason I do that is, is so I want them to become aware of what that number is. Everybody's number is different to what feels risky and what doesn't. And it can change. Like for me back in the day, a thousand bucks felt very, very risky. Now it's, it's a little higher, you know, it's around 10, 15,000. It's a little risky maybe, but it's going to change depending on where you're at. So it's, it's just about uh, uh, awareness at the end of the day. It's just about relationship and understanding what that feels and looks like, and then fine tuning okay, well, that feeling, that's when I want to give somebody $15, boom. And if you do that, if you practice that on a daily basis, then you start to fine tune of what your relationship is to those things, specifically money, if that's what we're talking about. I, I like that. I like that. And let's let's just be really clear. What, how would you define risk? Because I think you're, you're speaking about it as a sensation in the body. So if if I was one of your clients, how would you how would you help me to identify that feeling of risk versus some other feeling or sensation in my body? Um, so I, I, I always refer to like the difference between what feels good to what feels normal or to what feels familiar. And so, um, there is a difference between familiarity, like the, 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 the tickle of familiarity, like, oh, I've normalized this as opposed to, oh, I'm taking, I'm taking this thing that's actually healing my body. And so I'm feeling good from the healing properties of that thing. So there's, there's the, the difference between those two. So when I tell people to find, to like try to hone in to the risk, it's to try to hone in to the feeling of familiarity that's on the negative end. So the, not the familiarity that feels good, but the familiarity that feels negative. Okay. So the familiarity that feels negative, all that is, 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 is just, in my opinion, that's ancestral trauma. So risk, the feeling of risk is ancestral trauma. Whether, whether it comes from our parents or our grandparents or us, um, it's coming from the past. It's coming from behind us. And so if you can fine tune to, to knowing the difference between what feels good, what feels familiar, hone into what feels familiar, and then find the lower vibe, the lower vibrational of what feels familiar, that, that in my opinion, is what risk is. That's, that's the ancestral trauma of risk that's coming in. And that can be tweaked. You know, that can be eliminated. That can be risen. It can be lowered. Yeah, I I really like that man. The feeling of risk is ancestral trauma. That I mean that's that's gold right there. And following that up with when you identify that, when you can identify that feeling and the negative association with it, getting curious and asking, "Well, why? <laughs> why? Why do I have that feeling about this?" And and also having those conversations out in the open cuz I think so many of us the reason ancestral trauma gets passed from one generation to the next is cuz we don't actually talk about it. Mm-hmm. And get curious about, "Well, why? Why, why did when did we start coming up with this story that there's not enough for us. What, what actually happened? And then you trace it back and maybe you ask your parents and then they say, well, when I was growing up, my grandparents told me this. And you know, we can only trace it back so far with who's actually here, but you can start to stitch the pieces together and start to yeah. say, oh, well, of course, of course they had that story. It was useful and it helped them survive that time, but is it useful now? Do I still yeah, need and, that and, now? And the truth is, I mean, we live in, we really do live in a world now that, that you, that's, it's not about scarcity anymore. It really is not. Um, you know, a lot of people go like, oh, we got to pay taxes. We got to, we got to still do the things that the government needs for them to continue supporting us and doing everything that we need to feel safe. When the reality is more than 90%, something like 95% of the, of the services and things that we've, uh, that we need to like be a society. It's all uh, government contracts. It's like third parties. It's it's you, it's not the actual government itself. It's the government hiring uh, private entities to do it. So we live in a world where the government can go away and we can still continue surviving. We can still continue thriving. We don't need them anymore. So 
it really is ancestral trauma. And that's why I'm like, I officially say like, no, nah, man, risk, anything that feels scarcity, tightness, divisiveness, um, you know, that somebody needs to lose for me to win. That is ancestral. That is past. We can let that go. We don't need that anymore. Yeah, and, and I would also say, this is just the distinction I've carried for myself is that for me, there's a difference and I know what it feels like between riskiness and recklessness. And that's, that's usually where I draw the distinction for myself, because for example, I'll go to the extreme end of the spectrum. Yeah. I've got a wife and I've got two small children. It doesn't feel like a good decision for me to jump off of like a 60 foot cliff into some, you know, surging water that might've excited me before I had kids um, or, or somebody else, but it just feels reckless. It's like, well, what am I really going to gain out of that? You know, maybe, maybe I, maybe there is something for me to gain, but it certainly doesn't outweigh the, the risk that goes along with it. It feels reckless to me. Like, why would I do that? Or if I said, you know what, I'm going to clear my bank account and go buy one of those $30,000 TV sets that Adam was talking about before, <laughs> right? Like, I'm just going to go, let's just clear my bank account right now. That's, that's reckless, right? That's not risk. Um, so I, I don't know if you have, a and so, and so I have to, yeah. And so I had, and then I, and then you have to ask, right. If, um, if it feels reckless, why are you wanting to do it? You know, if it is reckless, why are you wanting to do it in the first place? Mm-hmm. Then, then you have to go. And my opinion is that once you start to like really poke at it, you'll see that it's ancestral. It's something from the past. It's something that's behind you and that we don't, you don't need anymore. The risk thing that you're saying that, yeah, it's calculated. It's, it's about listening to the signal and that's the difference between what feels familiar and what is what is the good, what is actual like information that's got you, you're actually using as a tool um, to knowing that difference to then be able to go, okay, now this is the one I'm, it's the calculated risk. Like I'm actually consciously choosing to do this, knowing that I'm doing it with this, this intention and not just like I'm reacting from something from the past. Oh, I love that, man. That's really helpful. Um, yeah. I love that you connected to ancestral trauma too, because I think that's something that so many people haven't even begun to examine for themselves. I, I know mm-hmm. I've taken that for granted because it's something I've been in, exploring for myself for, I don't know, at least the past 10 years. But mm-hmm. I mean, most people, they're like, what do you mean ancestors? What about what about my ancestors? <laughs> right? You just think of them as people in old photographs that you, whose stories you don't really know. Oh, the, the, more, the more I'm around Kale, you know Kale? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So the more I'm around him, I was in, I was in Maui uh, a few weeks ago, or actually a month ago now, but he talks, that's all he talks about is, is your ancestors. Learn your, like, learn about your ancestors. You will change your life because then you start to connect the dots. You got go, oh man, that's where it comes from. And then you go, maybe I need to adjust this in my life. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> but yeah, totally ancestors. Man. Oh man. Yeah. Kale was just on here a few weeks ago and we were just jamming oh. about that whole thing, man. Yeah. Oh, we yeah, we definitely connected on that. So, um, all right, so let's let's talk about some of the exciting stuff moving forward, right? The decentralized future. Now, I'm just going to assume that there's still people who are listening here that are like Bitcoin what? And they don't know what decentralization is. So can you give us like the instant crash course on it and then we could talk about the fun stuff because I'm also interested in what the future could look like as we navigate this decentralization process. Yeah, the best way that I've come to analogize this is, is first of all, um, what's happening here is we're, we're, there's a major shift happening. We're going from centralized systems to decentralized. All that means is instead of us, when we go online and we go to Instagram, we go to Facebook or here, we go to Zoom, we're accessing central servers. We're actually accessing servers that are owned by a corporation or by a, a few you know, groups of people that came together and created these servers, but we're not, we're not decentralized. We're not, you know, there's, there's like, let's say a million people accessing the same point, the same point access point where in decentralization, it flips it. It flips the whole thing uh, where everyone that is those million people are, are these servers and the operating system is in everybody's device. So instead of us using our devices to access central servers and use their operating system. We're downloading the operating system to our individual devices and then using the highways as the, as the, the, the connection communi- to communicate in. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes so that, sense that, to me. Yeah. That's the flip. That's the, essentially the flip that we're doing, centralized to decentralized. And then on top of that, you have blockchain. So blockchain is the operating system. That's essentially the idea, the idea that, um, you can connect devices to each other without going through a central hub. Um, the best comparison is Napster. I don't know if you remember Napster yeah. or LimeWire. Oh, yeah. So that software back in the day, that would allow you to connect to other, it's called peer-to-peer 
um, peer-to-peer transfers, but it will allow you to connect to other people's computers and download data from their computer. And like, they would give it up. You know, there was just this like community of data uh, sharing. Yeah. And so the government didn't like a lot that. Of people. Yeah, <laughs> it did. Yeah, I mean, it, it it was like you know things were being shifted around without buying. It was all for free, and so yeah, it pissed off a lot of people. the The company got taken down. But in my opinion, it was like a test drive, you know, to to see if the concept could work. To where now um, we, you know, now because we, we flipped it on them, we don't. We, the operating system is in our devices. We don't need to test it in these centralized servers anymore. These centralized sandboxes. Um, so now we have this operating system, crypto and, and not having those central servers, you've taken them away. We can now access each other from peer to peer, from me to you using that operating system, that new crypto operating system. Um, it started off with Bitcoin, which was for finances where now it's like online computers. Like we can essentially create any sort of application, any sort of program and, and facilitate any sort of transaction in the real world. Um, to where now it's like, it's, it's essentially becoming a tool that's being abused by evil. And so there's this, uh, this um, uh, pull towards escapism, right? Towards, towards uh, pulling people into the metaverse and like, oh, so, you know, get away from real life. Like, let's, let's just stay in here. That's what, they're, that's what I think is the evil plan with crypto. And really with the internet, like I think that it all started in this way to decentralize. And then the evil came in and was like, no, 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 we got to centralize this. This is not good. You know, I think it started with the internet and then it, now it's the same thing is happening with crypto. It became very, it was decentralized at first and now they're wanting, they're starting to centralize it little by little. And so it was like, no, we can't do that. Stop. <laughs> so you think, so you think that the metaverse, at least to some degree, I know there's no broad strokes, but is a, uh, like kind of like a bait and switch. Like, okay, yeah. all of you Bitcoiners out there come and get lost in this space. Yeah. And actually, in my opinion, uh, you know, what's happening right now with Elon Musk buying Twitter, you know, his, his whole reason for buying Twitter is because of freedom of speech. And so he's saying like, oh, we got to make sure that you're human. Right. Which is weird because like, why would I need to, anyway, let's, let's push that aside. The, the natural progression that Twitter is going towards right now, the first thing that they did was they opened up the profile picture to be an NFT. So now you can actually connect your NFT, your Web 3.0 wallet to your Twitter account, right? And so the natural progression of that is to then create, make that into a marketplace, make it into an ecosystem, make it into a place where you can monetize and you can make money, right? On Twitter to where eventually you start to become so dependent on that system that then, you know, then they'll flip it on you. And that, before that's we know trap. it, we've got all the big banks all over again, right? They just changed their costume. Exactly. And so, and so that's right now it's, this, it's, this, it's a choice right now. It's like, Oh, this is so glamorous. It's so beautiful. Let's, let's use Twitter and we can, we can use, we can, we can use it to make money and you will, you will be able to, but if you normalize it, right, the more you, the more you use that, those systems and the more you normalize those systems, it will be that much harder every day that you do it to get out of it and to you work on something else. And so Which, you'll become dependent on it. You know, and that's the trap. Which is why so many people will have a hard time getting behind uh, cryptocurrencies, right? Currencies that don't actually exist in material form when they realize that, I mean, when was the last time that I actually had cash and coins in my pocket, right? It's, it's, all, it's all numbers on the screen. Now we're just calling it Bitcoin instead of US dollars, right? So it's, it's interesting how there's that, the narrative that we have around things. And when and my, my focus on the decentralization conversation, I know the finances is a really big part of all this, but I don't think there's actually that much separation between finance and political power and larger governing bodies. I've always been of the belief that what needs to happen, because there's so many people on this planet with so many different belief systems, so many different wants and desires, that there has to be eventually some sort of fracturing where smaller communities of people will begin governing themselves again. I don't know how far in the future this is. I mean, if it were to happen tomorrow, it would have to be some sort of like cataclysmic apocalyptic event, I think. But eventually, I, I imagine a future where my children who are just little kids right now, they're going to live in a, in a world where the people who make decisions actually know who they are. <laughs> they actually know who they're making decisions on behalf of. So maybe a couple hundred people at the most instead of millions. Interesting. So oh, I would love to share my perspective. Yeah. Um, so how I see it, 
I don't think there needs to be any cataclysmic event for this. Um, although I would agree that, you know, when you're wanting to make a big shift two thing, one of two things need to happen, you need to repeat it over and over every day and normalize it, or yes, a big event that is going to shake everybody out of their, you know, normal life and go, Whoa, what's going on? Um, I think it's going to be the, the first, I think it's gonna be the latter. I think it'll be little by little. We won't need a big event and here's why. Um, blockchain itself is a tool. That idea, the idea of blockchain is out. It's like opening the, the bottle, the genie comes out. Now the genie, I'm here, I exist, you know? And so you have good and evil now staring at this genie and going, oh, this is a new tool we can start to use and start to, you know, the, the evil are going, we can use this to um, uh, still push our power up and still gain more land. And, you know, and they're looking at it from that perspective. And then you have that's where we have to like, I wish I had a sound right now. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's like burns, you know, like, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) I don't even know. I don't even know the the actual app, but it's like, excellent. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. So you have the evil doing that. Cool. Uh, And then you have good, right? Good men. Uh, And they even have that saying, um, evil wins when good men do nothing. And that's, I think what's happening right now. Again, uh, it first happened with the internet. And they won. They won. It got completely they as in the the mindset, the ideology, right? There's no they, in my opinion. I mean, there is a they. There's like a small group of people that are like driving this thing. But there's a mindset. And that's the bigger issue. That's the bigger issue. What They've normalized a mindset where somebody needs to lose for me to win. You know, capitalism, where it's justified to, ste- you know, to lie, cheat when it's because you're trying to make a buck, you know, when it's like, well, you know, that's capitalism. Somebody's got to lose. That's what it is. And so capitalism, right? Like hashtag (laughs) capitalism. And so, uh, man, I did a post recently. It's like capitalism is a real virus. And I lost 450 followers because of that. (laughs) And it's, and it's like, but did you read the caption? (laughs) Uh, but it had to do with this and like letting, you know, letting go of that mindset. But, but that's what it is. You know, you have this massive mindset that is with this new tool that evil is infiltrating now, you know, and I call it evil because that mindset is evil. It's divisive. It's tense. It's, it's destructive. It creates wars. It's all this stuff. And it's like, we need to let that go. But you know, that's a tough one. That's, that's probably the toughest one. And so we're bringing, um, even the people in the crypto space that I've known for years that love the space and love what it stands for. They're still like, well, you learned your lesson. You lost it. You like they have this mindset of like, well, you're you're in it. You're in it by yourself. This is what it is. So, when good men yield the tool for good, meaning like when we actually use it with the intention of bringing back the energy back into itself instead of giving it up towards a centralized power, you start to realize that like, oh, we're not going to win this on the global level. There's no way. And that's what a lot of these projects are trying to do. They're trying to launch these projects on a global scale. And it's like, dude, you're fighting globalists. What are you doing? <laughs> like global, global level launches is their bread and butter. Like you're not going to win. And so um, that's what I'm seeing in the space right now. You have all these projects that are amazing, but they're doing it very publicly. And so it's attracting the evil. It's attracting the people that are like, oh, how can we come in here and take as much as we can and just, and like bring this thing down so that we can make it better ourselves. You know, there's that mindset like that. And so, um, so to, to kind of build on what you just said, the fracturing, I a hundred percent agree with that. I think that the, the, the true decentralization using crypto is not going to be at the global level. It's going to be at the local level where you're going to start with a thousand people, you know, 500 people and you create a little, a little system that is not theirs. And then you just start to, you create your own reserve, your own currency. Uh, and that's essentially what's happening right now. You have these uh, DAOs, they're called DAOs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations. And they're using NFTs as a membership wall because that's, that's a whole other thing too. When the thing is public or private, uh, pr- public is, is, is their system. It's their jurisdiction. It's underneath maritime law, which is the satanic, satanic law. It's the inversion of nature. And then private privacy is godly. It's actually on, on the law of the land, common law. That's, that's, that's the law of man kind. <laughs> Literally. It's like when it's, when it's private, which means, um, it's like, um, 
it's all the things, it's like the flow of energy, instead of the flow of energy going out, right? Validation going to external, the validation comes from within. It comes from, you know, you don't need the external things to come in. You actually, if anything, you have so much self-validation, so much self-worth that you need something to represent it going out. And that's what I believe, you know, what money actually is. It's just an energy that represents the self-worth inside of us. And so crypto is giving us the ability to rep- to show that, to actually show a representation of that. And how I structure it for people is um, in society, they've normalized the flow of energy of money up into a pyramid, right? Towards a point, one specific point. And if you actually look at pyramids, the flow of energy goes up and then an out. And so it's literally throwing money into oblivion. Where I want to say, no, let's create a DAO, NFT-based DAO, and f- and and shift. And not, I'm not saying flip the pyramid because that's the same shit; it's just going down. But flip the energy in to itself, and then what happens? You create a toroidal field. And so I'm saying, let's let go of capitalism and take on toroidalism, which is feeding back the energy into itself, where it doesn't need external s- sources of 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 money or flow or energy. It comes from itself. I see what you did there, Otto. I see how you went all the way back to the beginning. You brought that external validation. I, I saw you, that was clever, man. I really, and I really Boom. like it, dude. That was dope. I mean, just the way you laid that out, obviously, I know you could go a thousand levels deeper into that. And I would encourage people who are listening to come check out what you got because I love your mind, dude. And I really love the way that you see things. And I, I agree. The way that we're going to be able to change those things is by having these intellectual conversations, educating ourselves and each other, and then making these choices. Simply put, right? Like what I heard in that was okay. There's got to be like a rising man crypto at some point, right? And but and I remember I, I thought back when I lived in in Ojai, um, Ojai, California. For those of you guys who know Ojai, there it was such a small town, and they had their own currency that they would use at the farmers markets and the local stores. And I mean, and no, it, I don't think it ever really took off, but they were trying that. They're like, hey, let's try and keep this, and and, and it was honored at all the local businesses within the you know town lines. So. Same concept, right? If we can learn to have something that we all place value in, right? That we're all putting value into and then agreeing upon that, then we can start to have these. Well, what's cool, but here's what's really cool about these DAOs is that the value you can actually, so you can create a very private DAO and it's blocked by a membership that you can like apply to go into, or you have to do some sort of sweat equity. There's a few different ways that you can layer it. It's all about gamifying it, right? Making it fun. Um, But essentially these DAOs, you can, so it's about, it's really what a DAO is. It's a, it's a way to facilitate the pooling of money. So, you know, essentially the first thing that people are going to do is they're going to take their money out of the SWIFT system and put it into the blockchain system. Just that shift alone, that's taking the energy that you've created, right? People save money. That means that you put in the time and effort of your worth into the job that you did and started accumulating that energy into the, now this account, this bank account that you have. So that's, that's a representation of your energy, of your worth. And so all I'm saying is take the worth out of their hands and put the worth in your hands. Just that step alone takes away the power, their power. Imagine if everybody did that overnight, it'd be, it'd be, over. It'd be over. And so not only are we doing that, but now we're, we're taking that worth and we're tapping into other people's worths and other marketplaces that exist in the crypto space. So, so the, your ecosystem, your DAO, depending on how much money is in there, it's going to make a certain amount of money because of tapping into these other DAOs. And so there's actually going to be abundance flowing into it, whether the people want it to or not at that point. <laughs> oh man. I love that. I, I, we're going to have to come back and do another one. Cause there's so many other little avenues that I want to jump into, but I, I got to get you out of here on time. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and I know you and I could jam for hours, man. So we, we will do that someday. <laughs> Um, so let me just hit you with a few rapid fire questions because I want to get you out of here on time and then you can tell everybody where to go and hear more about all the amazing things you got to share. Yeah, yeah. You ready for the ready for the fire? Let's do it. All right. So what's one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew back when you were 18? Mm. Failure is good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fail that's, hard that's the only thing they need to teach high schoolers right like hey just, just keep fail. failing guys <laughs> no actually if you fail you're out of high school or out of college it's like totally backwards okay anyway lightning round here we go what do you think is the most important value to have as a man awareness of 
Man, uh, awareness of like reactions. Mm. Awesome. And what is one thing the world needs more or less of from men right now? From men, we need more holding space. Ooh, can you imagine if everybody just started holding space for each other? Um, and less, less external validation <laughs> needs. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, like a bow tie on it, man. Let's, let's put the cherry on top. The great Otto Gomes, everybody. Tell everybody where they can go follow you, find out more about what you're doing because you fucking rock, dude. Thank you, man. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm, I have a large account on there, auto, at Otto Gomes. Uh, my website is autogomes.live. And uh, make sure you follow me on YouTube. I'm on there as well. I'm, I'm starting to put out a lot of consistent content now on a, on a pretty much on a daily basis, if not weekly. Um, but yeah, check me out. Awesome. And for this is not a joke for all the people out there who are going to follow you for the first time, make sure you got the official Otto Gomes, like the so yes. at Otto Gomes. I got, I was like, dude, what the hell is Otto putting out there? And then I asked Julian, he's like, oh, dude, he's got all these like fake accounts, people trying to pretend that they're him. So make sure you guys got the real one. And if you're not sure which one it is, we'll put it in the show notes and everybody. Yeah. Type out my full name. It's O T as in Tom O G O M as in Mary E S. Uh, and make sure because like I, man, I, once I saw Otto Gomes 35 and then Otto Gomes 22, I'm like, Oh no, if they have 22 and 35, how many other numbers are there? So yeah. Dang dude. Well, Hey man. That's they say the that that's one of the greatest signs that you made it right when you got people making right. fake accounts about you, dude. You're 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 there. It's um, the greatest form of flattery. Thank you guys for <laughs> scamming people on my name. I appreciate it. Yeah, the greatest <laughs> form of flattery used to be imitation. So I guess it still is in a way. We just found new ways to do it. Um, yeah. Otto, man, so good to reconnect with you, bro. Thanks for making the time here today. I look forward to jamming with you some more. And yeah, man, let's do it again sometime. Awesome. Actually, I'll see you in a couple of weeks uh, where we flip the script. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> then I, I get I to sit you. in the hot seat. <laughs> there you go. Awesome, All right, bro. brother. Take care of yourself. Talk soon. You too. All right, everybody, make sure you swing over to risingman.org. Check out Dojo and get yourself signed up today because I'm telling you these seats are going to fly off the wall, <laughs> off the wall, off the screen. I don't know what, what the online seats do, but they're going to go. So get yourself registered today, risingman.org slash dojo. And check out all the links and resources for this episode and every other episode. Make sure you go give Otto a follow. He's amazing. Really like that guy. I could talk to him all day. Please subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. Give us a follow on Instagram at rising man movement. Send us a message and we'll hit you back. Shout out to the whole community, all my rising man fam out there. Much love. And until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.